I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Music. Jen, I think you this clapped actually on the 3rd of January 2021. <laughs> it sounded absolutely on point to now and here I am making as much noise as possible in the back room. Oh, is it going to be? Oh, Good yeah, the that. clapping's not great. That's uh, <laughs> welcome back, um, creeps. Is everybody over last week's show? Because I'm sure there are people that aren't. No, it's been very controversial. Um, some people were horrified look, I just we're... can't even look the internet in the eye anymore um, I said that I was going to go and be where people are not and take myself away from society but enough people were like exquisite exquisite storytelling <laughs> it's another hate the sin not the sinner situation so I think I'm okay people are still willing I mean, to accept the, me yeah the live reporting element of it saved it, I think. If you had just told that in studio as is and brought it in, it would have been a completely different story. Oh, but yeah. Look, we reached a new height. That's all that matters. The bar has been kicked up catastrophically. I'm lower. trying to find some of the excellent tweets. There's so many good tweets about it. Uh, Robert Carey, Jesus, what a week to recommend the Creep Dive podcast to a couple of mates. <laughs> Best podcast going. Thank you, Robert. Um, Justin, it was truly disgusting. Thoughts and prayers to Cassie Lorraine. Yeah. Um, yeah. Somebody else, can you imagine bumping into little Sonny as an adult and telling him all about the time in 2020 when his mom and her pals made <laughs> butter poop? <laughs> I want no part to, no, no credit for making just witnessed <laughs> also Rosetta <Tasted>. has some <laughs> suggestions for um, and I'm going to action this um, this is an action for me to take Rosetta says we're going to need a merch line based on that episode we deserve it possible names Cully and Sonny um, I can't believe it's not butter classic <laughs> three dairy hole um, yeah, that's very good that's the winner I think it's got to be Dairy Hall. Um, yeah, a lot of people just saying truly one of my favourite episodes. 100% rotten. No one works harder. Thank you, you know, Death Ray. It feels very a lot like one of, you know, when you went to one of those parties in your early 20s and you were like, oh God, very weird and bad shit happened there. And then now we're all together after the hangover has, just, has subsided, just being left with that feeling of shame I feel like um, what's pr what happened here was that when I was very young and you were very young Jen a little program called Jackass uh, oh, yeah. was on TV and what I think is that subconsciously 
jackass still running through my veins along with rotten.com and i think what i tried to do here was just make a kind of a glamorous jackass and i think i succeeded i think that's kind of a that's like a trying to you know a a theme for your life just a a jackass with a fringe (laughs) oh my god actually tramp press my publishers um made such a funny insta story i don't know if you guys saw that um, where they were like, um, told the people who, when we when we turned down their work, tell us that we're afraid of their edginess. Um, see this week's Creep Dive episode. <laughs> so that was pretty. Never pretty afraid to be weird. The name of my amuse-bouche is Come Cane. Come Cane. Right. I like it. Uh, mine is an app. Mine's a real life tale of craziness. Um the story of a very, very weird world. That's all I'm going oh. But it's a really f- meaty number. Cassie, this is very up your street. I feel like Okay, I'm, okay, I'm into it. I have um, a nice little safety creep back into the realm of my new favorite genre of people who are framed for things. Oh, lovely. Oh, Debbie. Mm. Very unfair. I don't know why there's something comforting about that. It's just because there's no um, excrement involved and things generally no. work out okay in the end. And it's in America <laughs> once again, so it's far away from us. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, so you're going to have to open okay, this up I here. Okay, will I tee us up? Yeah. Okay. Um, the beginning of this uh, came from Reddit and then I went on an odyssey. So opening line from our redditor i used to sell cum crystals <laughs> solid and um, this this bag this brought back memories of when i was in prison i was arrested on drug charges for cocaine possession and dealing cocaine i ended up getting sentenced to five years i wasn't phased because i've been through a hell of a lot worse and i had nothing to lose keep in mind that i was a hundred pound five foot four inch white twink so on the first day of my sentence when i entered <laughs> the prison courtyard it's you know, like, like a, an effeminate gay you man. You know, like an effeminate gay man, yeah. Um, all of the big jacked up convicts all stared at me and smiled and catcalled. On several occasions, I'd be alone when I'd suddenly get jumped by a group of convicts. Um, but in my defense, oh yeah, okay. So whenever they tried to like, you know, gang up on him or hurt him or, you know, assault him in any way, he would, amazing, loudly shit himself. <laughs> Right. <laughs> what? You would have the ability. To, causing them all to flee in disgust each time. I was sick of them doing it and I wanted payback. When I got the most amazing idea, I just think shit yourself as a defense mechanism. Fucking A. Very off really, If you can call up a shite at will, then that's amazing. And I'm presuming um, it's like a loose like, one. If, if it's, you're forcing it out, that's mm, like vocal. Mm. That's a vocal warning. And a liquid visual. I feel like I know this is a low grade scenario to employ the self shit, but like, you know, when someone sits, you know, when you're on a dark carriage and it's re or a bus and it's really empty and someone still comes and sits in your little section. Very mm-hmm. rude. I think you could shit yourself there and that would get rid of them and that could be. I know it's possibly I mean, outsized reaction. You're, you're ruining your own day, really. <laughs> Anyway, so he got the most amazing idea for um, payback. They knew I was thrown in prison for dealing drugs, so I used that to my advantage. Each day for the next few years, I would proceed to edge myself from the second I woke up until I went to bed to the point where I could not handle the pleasure. Right before going to bed, I would proceed to masturbate to completion, shooting ropes of ejaculate that could flood the earth and destroy Noah's Ark all over my stomach. In the morning time, so he'd leave it on his stomach, all right? Oh, overnight. God. So it went crusty. In the, in the morning time, I would scrape my dried semen <sighs> off into plastic bags, crushing baggies, uh, um, crushing it all up into a powdered substance, which I secretly named cocaine. Cocaine. I started giving out these bags of my cocaine to the convicts 
who tried to assault me. I watched in satisfaction as they all eagerly took the bags and dumped them out on the table when no one was looking and proceeded to cut lines and snort my specially made drug. Each day I continued to do this, raising my popularity among the inmates with my lovely cocaine. Some of them claimed it actually gave them an insane high, while others said they didn't feel anything but they wanted some anyways because snorting it felt like the hard shit. On my last day, however, everything changed. Before I left, I made everyone watch as I proceeded to lift my shirt to display my glazed stomach, <laughs> scraping off the jizz flakes into a plastic bag and crushing it up. I watched in extreme pleasure and satisfaction as all of the prisoners that bought my cocaine vomited profusely. Oh my God, that Stinking is... up the room of pure stomach bile. <laughs> Sensational though. Jesus. Genius. Yeah, the final line in this is pretty intense. But I think I'll say it, will I? Yeah. In the end, I ended up getting butt played by all the inmates anyways, even after loudly shitting myself in my defense. Oh, that is bad. That's that man finisher. is Jerry Smith was a Florida man who was apprehended for multiple burglaries. Um, he was 29 years old, questioned by local authorities he revealed how one of his burglary jobs did not go to plan at all and actually left him with a few sexually transmitted diseases. Jerry broke down in tears as he detailed how he stole a jar from a property and he believed that it contained either cocaine or possibly heroin. And he was like, brilliant, going to get buzzed off some heavy narcotics. And... Um, but instead, he actually just ended up snorting 50 grams of dried human semen. What? A jar of semen. Who did... So, sorry, yes. is this a totally different guy? Is this another... Totally different guy. Person different who was storing up... Who was this making was cocaine. Reported, this is news reporting. So the first one is Reddit. So take it with a little pinch of cocaine. But second story is like a legitimately reported story of Jerry Smith in Northern Florida who was a burglar and basically one of his jobs really fucked him over when he snorted 50 grams of dried human semen that was being kept in a jar okay so he just was in a house and thought he would come across like a jar of cocaine which is kind of odd anyway but yeah, yeah. very unusual so are we back up to speed mm -hmm. yes. Jenny White was the victim she was the owner of the jar and she? she was shocked when she returned yes she was shocked when she returned to her apartment to find that a lot of her erotic materials such as toys and movies had vanished so Jenny is a regular Tinder user okay okay and has been amassing an unusual collection over a long period of time she gathers the semen from her many <laughs> Tinder conquests into a jar. Fair fucks to her though. But like oh, how? Yeah. Well, like, lean, just embrace your weird self. Yeah. I'm, I'm supportive of every one of these people. Like the Jenny smell says, of the jar. I think that this is something that's gonna, we might need to do a creep investigation. No. I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I just felt if I planted the seed in Jen's mind you never I know what might happen over the Christmas break and attempt mm -hmm. uh, my own homemade cocaine mm -hmm. I actually okay, rather so, anyway. snort shit to be brutally honest there's probably little really? difference no I'd go sperm over shit I think day. snorting any form of human excrement is going to not really be great <laughs> not, not, not great idea. not great um, Okay, so Jenny was quoted as saying, I know it's weird, but I got every guy I slept with in the last two years to ejaculate in the same jar. There must have been sperm from, from at least 250 guys in there. Come on, Jenny, get it. I love how none Jenny of the guys say, were like, had... I'm not doing that. This they were all like, weird. I or like, what is, what is this already in the jar? Well, they did exactly. it into the jar. Like she didn't gather it elsewhere. Like they knew they were participating in a group activity. That's her quote is that she got them to ejaculate in the same jar. So take what that, from that what you will. Um, she went on to say, I had no idea um, what a criminal could be planning to do with a jar full of dried cum, but snorting it, that's just gross. <laughs> <laughs> so for his troubles, um, Jerry Smith... No, got, he couldn't have contracted um, anything from that. 
He got oral and genital herpes. What? And he also got a fine of $455,000 for all his burglarizing. I tell you, I think... He got his come uppins. Very, okay, very good. good. I'll give you that though. Very good. Thank you. But okay, I would final hazard quick to guess. One, right? I, I don't think oh, yeah. you could contract those things from snorting very old semen. Well, this next one, this next one answers that a little bit. Okay. This was in an agony ant column. Um, I'm a woman in my 50s. Until three years ago, I lived my life with a general aversion to illicit drugs and alcohol and had a sex life that wasn't exciting, let, an, let alone enjoyable. Sad. Oh. So, three years ago, my ex-husband left me and I began using illicit drugs recreationally. As you As do. Life, like you just saunter down to the corner shop and you're like, I'll take a drug, please. <laughs> One yeah. drug of the illicit One kind. One drug. <laughs> um... So she found it incredibly liberating and began to discover things about herself. Um, she really valued her new sense of freedom, particularly when it came to sexual expressiveness. Um, during that time, I, I discovered aspects of my sexuality and fantasies I hadn't previously recognized. So um, a few months prior to writing this, she had begun a uh, more sort of uh, monogamous relationship with a man we'll call Boris, um, who... Um, he respected um, her kind of new life choices about drug and alcohol use. It's just live and let live, obviously, Boris's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, so she'd kind of like let up with the drugs a bit, but she kind of still longed for the kind of the little buzz that was given her. And uh, then secretly, I have started indulging in one of my fantasies. I keep Boris's, I think the fact that his name is Boris really adds to this. I keep Boris's ejaculate in my mouth, discreetly spit it into a kitchen glass, then, brackets, usually the next morning, I use, love this, the dehydrator and spice grinder, I'm going to be making a purchase, um, to dry and grind his semen into a fine powder. I later ingest the semen dust using a straw to snort it. I realise this is strange, but I was previously curious about semen. And seem to have happily found my own sexual placebo. And it has made me far more sexually expressive and confident in myself when I do it right before sex. Is there anything wrong with this practice? Should I tell Boris? No. Um, perhaps more importantly, are there healthy alternatives to drugs and alcohol or and placebos? Meaning fucking cocaine. She's not hurting anyone. sexual confidence. She can Wait, just she has signed on. it off. Blow a load. Um, <laughs> the response is dear blow a load <laughs> um, anyway so the response is actually very in depth so I'll just skip through a few to a few of the kind of main points kind of salient points that's another little uh, play on a uh, little, little come play there uh, salient given, it's salty mm. Sa- salient Sa- <laughs> bit of a reach on that no, one it doesn't, bit of a it reach. doesn't work I'm sorry I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry I perpetrated that on you. Okay. Um, so, nasal delivery. So, first first things first. Nasal delivery is a viable option for administering some drugs, but said drugs are usually suspended in liquid. Snorting powder, different story. It's not meant to be done, which is why long-term cocaine snorting can lead to severe damage in the nasal cavity. Mm. Love it. Okay. Um, to my knowledge, we don't know the effects of snorting dried semen because it hasn't been studied. However, Urban Dictionary, <laughs> oh yeah, Urban Dictionary claims it hasn't is been studied. Perfect. It's because nobody really. It's not important. Yeah, she says. Further references to it are scant, and I do not expect there are peer-reviewed studies. And <laughs> um, you're a one-woman case study. I can't recommend continuing this behaviour, but I can't help but marvel at the human ingenuity at hand. Um, it's very gourmet. Maybe mix. I'm seeing, isn't it? Um, she then goes on. The respondent goes on to email several um, experts, uh, including a director of men's health at Albany Medical College, asking about the potential risks of STD transmission. So in answer to your question, Jen, he says that it is unlikely given that it's dehydrated, but he still recommends you abandon this process. (laughs) Um, She also asked a psychologist 
who said that um you know it's uh it's the snorting of the cocaine cocaine is uh just eliciting a kind of sensory reminder of your illegal drug use and it's acting out a quote-unquote forbidden sexual fantasy and she's wondering if you need to just explore different ways to kind of trigger this kind of like you know uh that feeling is is more healthy that frisson of the verboten finally she says we both agree it's not really necessary to tell boris what you're doing with this hell no hell no so that is my story of cocaine from the internet like Um, there's never ending like it's it's, i'm just surprised that you found three instances very different circumstances where they've all decided that dehydrating or allowing some semen to go crusty and putting it in their nose is a good idea what I really like is your man, the first guy's method of the stomach glaze and then leave overnight. <laughs> That's my favorite. A chop up the into actual method. Baggies. Yeah. Like Good to know. Good to know. There are many ways so to dark. skin a cat. <laughs> I just felt the need to uh, hat tip to uh, Lisa Cohen, listener Lisa Cohen, who did... Um, did send me a long thread that was basically by a user on Twitter called Rebecca, Rebecca, sorry, Rebecca, um, who did like a kind of just remind uh, what what was everyone's favorite discourse on Twitter this year, and then a user called Jaya Saxena um, tweeted, "I just need everyone to remember the lady who dehydrated and snorted cum." So that is what initially led me down this um, path. So thank you to Twitter and Lisa. That was uh, very, very I- amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I enjoyed it immensely and I'm in no way surprised that this is going on. I think teenage boys are doing this to themselves on the daily. <laughs> There's just no question. Um, this is no end to the human ingenuity, as the agony aunt said. None. We're an amazing species. Uh, do you want to hear mine or do you want to hear Cass? Mine's probably shorter than yours, so will I go for mine and you can take us out? Go ahead. Love it. Um, so this is a sad story of uh, just more police corruption in the United States of America. Um, and it happened in the eighth. It's kind of a, it's one of those stories where there's just multiple coincidences and someone gets fucked over as a result. Um, but on the 8th of February 1990, a courier for Pan American Diamond Corporation was leaving his apartment in New York in Williamsburg to catch a flight to the Dominic Republic. Dominican Republic. So he had a suitcase that contained 25 kilos of diamonds and precious stones. <gasps> what? Was this a part of his job as a delivery man? Yeah, he's a, he's a courier Sorry, for what the, a completely for the Pan American Diamond Corporation. <laughs> this is his, this is literally his only job. So he transfers diamonds <laughs> from one place to I'm another. Um, so yes, <laughs> Sophie. Sorry, Um, sorry, guys. But as he was walking to his car, he noticed a man with blonde hair following him. And once he was in his car, he saw the man pull out a gun. But very cleverly, he reversed his car, knocked the man into some um, into some garbage trash, and escaped. Not into two guys carrying a pane of glass across the road or anything. No, (laughs) disappointing, isn't it? It's like it's like a a skit. Like imagine some sort of um, Arnold Schwarzenegger diamond courier um yes but the robber was raging and desperate to follow your man he took out his gun and he shot a driver in the head and drove <gasps> off but the victim was uh shaskel wersberg who was a rabbi and holocaust survivor so he's quite well known oh, in um, in new york and really highly regarded so it was really big news that he'd been murdered so officials vowed swift justice and offered a $10,000 reward for anyone who had any information. The lead detective on it was named Louis Sarcella, and he had 40 investigators. And by the 13th of August 1990, they had been convinced that they had found their man. So six months later. But they arrested a small drug addict and small-time thief, David Ranta. Um... There were two people who identified him as the gunman. And after holding out in being interviewed for 26 hours, 
Detective Lewis Garcella got a confession and then a witness at the scene placed Ranta there as well. So he ended up being convicted of 37 and a half years in prison, but claimed his innocence the whole time. And he... Even though he'd confessed, did he kind of revoke the confession? He said that he had been set up. So immediately the judge noticed a lot wrong with the investigation. For example, the two witnesses that... um, the two witnesses who had placed him at the scene were f- had both been taken out for dinner by Scarcella and also were both up for other convictions and wanted shorter sentences. The detective mm. had also written the confession by hand instead of recording it and having it being signed. So it was in his own office rather than recording it in an interview room. Um, but despite all these doubts, the judge didn't. They were so pressured to get a conviction for this. They didn't bring any of this stuff to the jury. Um, so by 1996, after four years in prison, a woman named Teresa Aston came forward and said that her husband, Joseph Aston, was the real murderer. She had details that only someone close to the killer would have known. But he had actually been killed in a police chase just a couple of months after the first murder had taken place. But... Teresa had a bit of a kind of uh, sketchy past herself, so she wasn't considered a reliable witness. So he stayed in prison. David Rant is still in prison, uh, despite this, despite the errors in the investigation and despite this woman coming forward. So in 2011, New York launched a new conviction integrity unit, Mm -hmm. which went back and revisited the witnesses who placed Rant at the scene. And the witness, one of the key witnesses, was a 13-year-old person, 13-year-old boy, who, um, as an adult, admitted that Detective Scarcella had told him to just go and point at the man with the biggest nose in the lineup. He didn't really know what he was identifying. Um, And the two other people who had identified Ranta came forward and admitted that they had falsely accused him in, in exchange for a lighter sentence. But then this gets even sadder, right? So Mar- Ranta was released in March 2013 after being in prison for like, what's that, like 23 years. Jesus. And he had a heart attack the very next day. Oh, no. That's but, classic. Oh, my God. It's like a black fly in your Chardonnay. He did. <laughs> he did or a heart attack the day you're released from prison after 23 years of incarceration for a crime he didn't commit. Now, he survived the heart attack. He went on to sue the city of New York and he reached a settlement of $6.4 million in 2014. And oh, so he didn't die of the heart enough. attack? No, he didn't die of the heart attack, but enough. he wasn't, wasn't well. Like, do you know? But he doesn't really talk Damn to... Um, he doesn't talk to press And that's because prisoners' health is so neglected in prisons. Yeah, completely. Like, it's, he should have got more. Damn. He absolutely should have got more. Um, so... But all of the other cases that Scarcella was working on are now being investigated. So I'd say we've got like a little, we're going to get a, a nice uh, wealth of stories out of this guy wrongfully imprisoning people. Luckily, we live in Ireland, so hopefully the chances are smaller. And you're not even in the place, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Like you've just come to the attention of some fucking dick. But it is interesting because it does kind of, you know, show up the kind of, uh, iffiness of cash rewards for information and stuff. Mm. but any okay. sort of rewards for information like you shouldn't be getting it's not even cash rewards like the re- reduction of a sentence the reduced sentence it's yeah. ridiculous of yeah. course they're all turning on each other and saying that like oh in prison there was another case where like so in prison said, he's, they all four people came forward and were like yeah he's, he told me he did it like yeah. I don't believe that he would have said that he did it hell no totally Okay, buckle your seatbelts, guys. Are you ready for this tale of twists and turns? Because you should be. Her name is Pauline Dakin. Somebody sent this in. Thank you. But I can't find anything in the D. It's impossible to work Instagram DMs, as we all know. So I can't find the person who sent it in. But thank you so much for sending. Pauline Dakin, right? Grew up in the 70s in Canada. And her childhood was full of secrets. Here she says, there was always something unusual about my family. My brother would say, oh, hang on. Am I still with you? Yeah. Okay. Uh, My brother would say, what do you think's wrong with our family? Why are we so weird? 
but that was the mystery that just didn't get answered. So her parents, Warren and Ruth, had separated when she was five. This was the summer before she started school. Warren was a successful businessman, but heavy drinker and was violent. And it got to a point where Ruth was like, I can't take this shit anymore. We're getting out of here. So when Pauline was seven, Ruth took the children on holidays to Winnipeg, more than a thousand miles away from their home in Vancouver. And uh, when they arrived, she told the kids, we're never going back. And um, so Pauline says there was no opportunity to say goodbye. It was just this abrupt severing of relationships. Uh, When she asked her mum why she had done this, there was never a decent explanation. She would just say, I'm sorry, I can't tell you. When you're older, I'll explain it. So four years pass and the same thing happens again. This time the family moved to New Brunswick. Uh, so apart from this life kind of went on normally for Pauline a bit they'd started to build a new life there in this new town but below the surface Pauline was confused anxious and falling into a depression she knew Mm. something bad was happening and she didn't know what it was but there was always a sense of, of something dire that they couldn't speak about like Voldemort levels of frighteningness so when she was 11 Jesus by the time she was 11 she'd attended and is there just her and her brother her and her brother and her mum at this point. So when she was 11, she'd attended six different schools uh, in nearly as many years and completely lost touch with her dad. Um, But another man had entered the family's life. This guy, church minister called Stan Sears. So Pauline's mum had met Stan at a support group for families of alcoholics. Stan was a counsellor and Ruth had gone to him when she was struggling with Warren's drinking and when she was kind of trying to get her ducks in a row to leave. So both times mm. um, Pauline, that Pauline family had disappeared, Stan's family had moved in step with them. Okay, so whatever Ooh. was going on, uh, so, so Pauline says, whatever had been going on, I knew they were a part of it. So in New Brunswick, they'd completely settled. It was 1988 and at the age of 23, Pauline had graduated from university she was working for a newspaper in the city of St. John and St. John, maybe it's pronounced St. John. And uh, when her mother telephoned her, right, wait for this. She said, OK, I'm ready to explain all of these strange things you, that have happened through your life. And Pauline was Whoa. instructed by her mother to meet outside a motel halfway between the two cities where they were both living. When she arrived, Ruth, her mum, slipped a note in an empty envelope Uh, into Pauline's hands and the note read don't say anything take your jewellery off put it in the envelope I'll explain just don't talk what Pauline was like this was the most bizarre thing I thought who are you and what are we doing here um but she did what her mum asked right so her mum then took the envelope and took them to a motel room and opened the door and lo and behold Stan standing there waiting for them Right. So Stan and Ruth told Pauline for the past 16 years they had been on the run from the mafia and that Pauline's family had been targeted because her father, Warren, who had been involved in organized crime. She couldn't wear jewelry because it needed to be tested for bugs. So Pauline said it was unbelievable. But I remember the feeling of terror coming over me that this might be something we could never escape. Stan explained that it all started after he had counselled a mafia kingpin who wanted to turn his back on his criminal past. When the mob discovered the man broke its code of silence uh, and came to Stan for counselling, they assassinated him and then they came for Stan, thinking obviously he knew a lot about... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So later, Ruth, uh, the ex-wife of kind of a mobster had started working at a, as a, sec, a secretary at Stan's church. She too had become a target. So uh, I w- this is Pauline says, I was told that each of us had somebody following us, keeping an eye on us from a distance and that there had been many attempts at either kidnap, poison or, tr- or attempt at murder me, but that these agents had intervened to keep me safe many times over the years. As well as government sanctioned task force, Tan explained that there was shadowy communities, uh, towns or villages in different parts of the country where people who'd been targeted by mafia could go into protective custody. And these were known as the weird world. 
Isn't that fucking mad? So what? after years on the run, Pauline's mum said she was going to go inside for protection. So that meant she would disappear, never to be seen again. Stan mm-hmm. was already living in one of these communities called Place of Hope. Um, but his wife had not wanted to go in with him. So he was living there alone, working in this, working with the agents in this world. Yeah. So Stan and Ruth told Pauline that this was their chance to finally be together, that they'd fallen in love and, uh, many years ago and they'd never be able to act, been able to act on their feelings. So Pauline was obviously in shock. She said she was sick with fear and sadness and it just felt like life was shattering all around me. Um, so she spent that weekend listening to Stan and Ruth's stories, which explained many of the odd things that had happened when she was growing up. Like the time she came home to find her mother throwing away all the food from the fridge. So the story at the time was that the food had gone bad, but she remembers thinking ketchup and mustard don't go bad. And there are things in there that yeah. don't go bad quickly. Like, why would you do that? So Stan explained that they had received word that somebody was trying to poison them. So everything had to go. And there was the time that her family had gone hiking in the middle of school week, stayed overnight in a mountain cabin and uh, people had been coming after them, Stan explained, and they had to get away for for uh, a day or two. And there was the day after the family had skipped school to go bowling and the time the children had come in from school, been rushed through the house, told to grab, uh, to scrub their feet in the bath and made to wear plastic bags over their socks for the rest of the day. So there had been sinister reasons for all of these strange things. So as unbelievable as she says, as unbelievable as it sounds, there were all of these explanations that made um, pieces that have been so troubling fall into some kind of pattern and narratives, she says. So when it was Mm. time for Pauline to leave Stan, uh, to leave, Stan asked if he could put a transmitter on her car to make it easier for the good guys, he said. Um, to follow her and make sure she was safe and he also gave her a small transistor radio and he said that it had a broadcast function so Pauline could send a call for help but he warned only use this if your life is in danger because people who respond will be putting their life on the line for you so Pauline was like it was a lot to digest she went home she was renovating with her boyfriend um, and she was struggling to come to terms with all of this shit and did you say she was renovating? She was, I know, I knew that would draw you in and I have no further questions. It's very stressful. It's very stressful. And on, any idea what, what kind of work were they getting done? Uh, no idea, so, I'm sorry. Life and you know as extension. well, like, Couple we, of can't, we cannot even, we can't even fathom how difficult renovations were pre-Pinterest. Well, that's it. So this is the choices times. were limited, which could have made it easier. Anyway, oh, yeah. so she had a boyfriend. So she did fill the boyfriend in and uh, then the pair of them kind of lived this like tension filled existence of looking over her shoulder constantly you know for cars or people that might be following her and uh, just a kind of constant state of anxiety so over time more and more info was coming from Ruth and Stan about the weird world including news that many people they knew weren't really the people they seemed to be So the story was that some people who had been around her in her childhood were involved in organised crime. They had been picked up, arrested or killed and then replaced by doubles, right? So sometimes the doubles were... So here Pauline says, sometimes the double was put in place by the good guys and sometimes they would be put in place by the bad guys. So you were never 100% sure whose double it was. It was espionage. says Pauline. So the double, Stan Stan later explained, spent months studying home videos, learning how to behave convincingly, using specialist plastic surgeons, makeup and artists to kind of perfect their disguises. So Pauline had come across these doubles from time to time. On the day her brother got married, for example, she met her father and her aunt for the first time in years. Both, she was told, were doubles. My mother was so upset at that wedding because her sister was supposed to be a double, she recalls. She kept saying, but look at her toes. Those are exactly Penny's toes. How could you make somebody's toes look like that? So Pauline remembers looking at her dad that day and he had a kind of an overgrowth of cells just over the iris of one of his eyes, right? How on earth could that have been replicated? Uh, but she said it to Stan and Stan was like, oh, that's contact lenses. There were prosthesis. There was this, that and the other. Uh, there was yeah. always an answer for everything, she said. So Pauline and her mum 
also received dozens of letters, like tons of letters from people inside the world, weird world, uh, from her father, her godfather, for example, who were being held in a top, uh, in some kind of prison there, Stan said. The handwriting always looked authentic. The letters talked about things from their shared past. They were really convincing. So who on earth would have the time to forge them if they weren't real, she wondered. And um, there's a few pictures of a lot of the letters. And they're all sort of... why would they? Referencing bits of her childhood. Like it's very... Yes, exactly. Why? So despite being kind of working through... You know, she was... She had her doubts. She always had to acknowledge that two people telling her this story were her mum and Stan. These were the two most constant people in her life. And Mm -hmm. it was a crazy story that did... She did have some challenges believing it. But if I couldn't trust them, she said, who can I trust? So it began to feel mm-hmm. that her work as, she was working as a reporter for the local paper and she was covering the school board and meetings. And this kind of big secret was sort of, you know, between her, you know, her, her boyfriend and the rest of the world was sort of driving a wedge. It was wrecking her life, really. She said she just thought, yeah. I can't live like this anymore. She decided she was, she was going to go with her mum and go into one of these, you know, top Things, secrets. yeah. Yeah, things, the weird worlds. So Stan told Pauline... To live or just to visit? To live. Let's say to live. She was like, I can't live in this level of anxiety. If I go with you, we can live some sort of a normal life there. I'll find another... And she was prepared to leave her boyfriend and all that carry on. So... It's so sad after all the reno work as well. Yeah, sad. But Stan told Pauline that there was work inside that she could do, that there was a community of people she could be part of, and he was going to build a cottage for himself, her mum and Pauline. And he could arrange oh, so for she it. could scratch that Renault. In. Exactly, exactly. Bought the carpet samples, they are supposed to show Pauline. Got her all, you know, picking jacked up. Nice. Picking a colour for a statement wall. Yeah, it was exciting. So anyway, she left her job, sold her house, broke up with the boyfriend and she moved to Nova Scotia where she, she was told to go in preparation for the move to the weird world which she was not yet told where it was. But... Here she says, we were told there had been threats against the family members and if we were to disappear again, all all hell would rain down on anybody left behind. The intelligence gatherings were telling us through Stan that the mob had some sense that we might be planning to disappear so they were threatening us. We were always on hold. So she was kind of in this limbo land then, waiting to get the call about moving into the new world. Yeah. And uh, so Pauline met Kevin. Was the brother involved at this point? No, there's no mention of the brother here at all. Um... Okay. I don't know is the answer. So he wasn't let in on it. No, uh, I don't know. But so they were waiting and waiting and waiting. Pauline eventually met this guy called Kevin, later become her husband. And uh, Stan even gave Pauline away at her wedding. Still hadn't moved into the real world. So the weird world, but sort of still remaining in this kind of level of high anxiety. So oh my God, imagine. Uh, here next, she decided, she was like, I've had enough of this. I need to find out once and for all whether this is true. And I need to know whether I'm going into this weird world or not. I can't keep my life on hold like this. So she rang her mum and said, somebody's broken into my house. What should I do? And her mum said, okay, hang on. I'll talk to Stan. I'll get right back. Right. So Stan then Jesus. made it clear to Pauline and Ruth that they must never go to the police to report any kind of threats. They must come directly to Stan and Stan would contact, you know, special secret service people who would control it. So, mm. uh, well, Ruth called pa- uh, Pauline back in a few minutes. She, Pauline said, I was terrified because it was the moment I was going to get the answer to this quandary I've been living with, she said. So Ruth said she couldn't talk on the phone. Pauline must go over to her house immediately. So once there, Pauline listened, horrified as Ruth and Stan told her that two people had been picked up just down the street from her house and they had photographs of her. They'd been following her and they were looking for certain things in her home. So when she heard this, she knew it was a hoax because there had been no break in. She made it up. And that was the moment all uh, she knew all of these severed relationships all the crazy running around all the madness it was all a fucking lie so she was oh shell-shocked God. angry and it was a week before she con- could confront her mum and when she did Ruth was horrified and upset uh, but not because she believed Pauline's accusation against Dan what worried her was that if Pauline no longer believed the story she would be putting herself in danger so Ruth Pauline's mum was obviously completely in this 
you know, hook, yeah. line and sinker. Just brainwashed. Totally. And Pauline then went to Stan and he told her there must have been some mistake. The report about the men who'd been picked up was true. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, there was basically a humongous rift. She was furious, resentful. She hated Stan for a long time. But she then decided that her mum was not in on it. Stan was making it all up. And, uh, but she couldn't figure out why. So in yeah, search for yeah. an answer, she headed over to see a psychiatrist, right? And here Pauline says, I said, what do you think this could be? He's clearly not schizophrenic. He doesn't appear to be psychotic. He's a professional. He's well-respected. People always talk about what a great guy he is. What could be going on? So the psychiatrist suggested it sounded like a case of folly ado. So Ooh. as we know, the syndrome, which kind of uh, symptoms of delusional belief that are transmitted from a dominant personality which is Stan, to a less dominant personality, which could be Ruth. So Pauline and her, mo- and her dad, Warren, the original dad, reconnected after many years. But by now, he was very ill with emphysema and he started boozing again. And uh, Pauline was like, I thought about telling him, but I just thought, fuck it, I'm not going to. And um, eventually then, Pauline allowed Ruth, her mum, back into her life and she was became a good grandparent and everything but Ruth never stopped believing Stan's story even after his death and the letters dried up oh, from Jesus. the weird world there were no more messages about activities from the mafia and there couldn't be any doubt at that point that it had all been spoofery um, she still stuck with it and uh, she did ugh, it was, it's just sad isn't it so years on fucking hell Pauline still wild trying to kind of unpick the elaborate hoax and uh it's just a mad, sad, a mad story of year, her whole life. Like, you Fucking know, hell. it would be hard not to. And then maybe the original, you know, her life could have turned out so much more different. So anyway, she works for uh, now for the Canada, Canada's national broadcaster and is an assistant professor at the School of Journalism at the University of King's College. But funny, she ended up in journalism right. as well. So that's uh, that story mm. was a story uh, uh, from the BBC it's a news story from the BBC back in 22nd of Fe- uh, February 2018 by Sarah McDermott. So she compiled all that. But it's fucking amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. It's insane. Mm. And like there was no suggestion ever that Warren, the original husband, had mafia ties or anything. No, well, not until Stan started sh- suggesting it. Uh, so it was Stan planting that. Oh, definitely. <gasps> and then the kind of like it's secondary so... being like, oh, by the way, me and Stan are actually in love. So that could have kind mm. of suge- that suggests that Stan might have this might have been a ploy to get just get with Ruth. He was like, I need Her to get rid of that way, husband, yeah. and I want Ruth. And was Stan you know, then away. like just all the time monitoring their lives and like telling Pauline to go or telling Ruth constantly. to go run and move constantly? Mm. He was constantly, and, and then what, the kind of po- uptake of the letters arriving as well. Own family? Do you remember he? left his own family he said that his wife didn't yeah. want to come into the weird world with him so that left him free then yeah. to kind of per- really pursue Ruth and obviously he moved he kept moving with them so I think initially for the yeah. first move his family went with Ruth, Pauline and Ruth and sorry Stan's family went with them and then the second mm. move I think Stan went alone with them so he was just there hovering around in the background being an ultimate that creep is- that and is there's mad. no there's no way to kind of excuse it away and sort of say well then he was believing his own delusions because he was physically writing the letters and then lying yeah. you know that way so it's not it's not like yeah so just kind of all oh together my god and all the like the doubles and the stand-ins is so freaky it's just isn't absolute it? gaslighting and t- it's like terrorizing somebody it's just full control isn't it A full yeah. control but also like the level of stress in their household it's ter- and like your mum imagine as a little kid just like... your mum being terrified all the time oh it's awful yeah and she was escaping one abuser <laughs> to then be completely taken over by this other abuser like fuck do you know when the psychiatrist was talking Poor about Ruth. like dominant and you know the dominant and this kind of submissive or the less dominant that's what's required for a folly ado isn't that fucking yeah. interesting another time I'll tell you about these Russian um Russian conjoined twins similarly this kind of per- this who had this personality 
sorry, I went on to look into them and it was another fascinating example of a very dominant personality and not so dominant personality and the kind of toxic, mad shite that can happen. You need to be very careful who you hook you up would. with. You would. I mean, the conjoined twins, in fairness, didn't have that choice. But these are different. This, There's no, I'm sorry, now I tried to knit these stories together because there's nothing similar about them you whatsoever. tried to knit them together in the way those twins were hey, knitted together in birth hey yes i did and failed and uh, i am knitting and you are knitting. and we've come full circle <laughs> and we've come full circle i'm working on a rib sleeve beautiful so that kind Very, of that, might, that was amazing Jen. it's a great what story a story great like. story fucking hell but this brings us into i can't believe it's not a movie yet I know, but I feel like there's tons of movies like this, you know? Like, what about that one? I've frozen. I can't think of a single one. You've frozen. I'm still talking. Uh, are you back, Cass? Are I'm you back. with us? I'm back. Yeah. So we should tell the people. Very good. Thank you so much to everybody. We are going to keep for recording. year. It's been a fucking amazing year. We're going to take, uh, uh, we're going to take the next two Thursdays. There won't be any main app, but there will be Hive content. Um, what days? Thursdays? So so basically we're taking two weeks break yeah for the christmas general year listener. but if you are one of our cherished patrons who support the creep dive financially and emotionally <laughs> throughout 2020 um on our live zooms you guys are still getting your full hive episode lands every thursday and we'll be we'll just be taking you right through christmas into the new year and uh, for the rest of you, consider signing up. Why not? Not that this is us trying to dog feed you, but <laughs> do for sure for four quid. Now you get hot, you get hive content all the way through the festive season, and you could catch up on the like what fifty plus episodes that are right there on the Patreon. It's a There's no loads. brainer. And then you and can actually, cancel. Um, you can just cancel it in January. We got, <laughs> if you um, don't like it. For everyone who was asking as well, who hadn't made it to the lives, this is something that people asked all year long. We pulled all the audio from the live shows and that's now available as its own RSS feed. So if you haven't watched those because you don't like watching them on Patreon, you can now just set them up as usual as a, as a podcast feed and away you go. So you've loads of content. Go. So, so listen, how many lives did we do this? Over year? thirty. Amazing. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, like, thank you so much to everyone who came every Thursday yeah. because it was so fucking nice in the midst of all this shit show. And happy Christmas and a happy new year. And we'll see you over and on the happy hive. Happy Christmas and, and hope. If not. <laughs> if not. Yeah. Okay. Good luck. Good night. God bless. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.